mentioned that the talk about seniors last week nudged me to uh, change where I was going to go for the uh, message this morning. Two of the lesser familiar stories, we're pretty familiar with Mary and Joseph, we're pretty familiar with the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and the star, maybe a little less familiar with Zechariah and Elizabeth and the parents of John the Baptist. But in Luke chapter 2, there are two other stories. Uh, If you're working off the Bibles that are in your pews, page 946, otherwise Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick it up around verse 21. Two people that are presumed to be seniors, Simeon and Anna. Now I say presumed to be because there's really not much detail about this guy named Simeon. Um, There's a lot more detail about Anna, and in fact it tells uh, how long she was married before her husband died, how old she was, and in fact some of the way of, of understanding the way it's worded, she could be 84 years old, or if you add sort of the age of 13 or 14 when she got married, she could be pushing 100 years old, back to our definition range with the seniors down here. Um, But Anna is definitely a senior. Simeon, he's just a guy who's been hanging out at the temple, and I don't know if it's because he's sort of in the same section where it talks about Anna, but he's, he's assumed to be a senior, but we really don't know for sure, but we'll, we're going to lump him in this, this group uh, with apologies to Simeon if he wasn't a senior at the time. If we go back to verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, we find that eight days after he was born, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem, then they journey to Jerusalem to have Jesus uh, circumcised in the temple according to the law and according to the uh, rituals of the Jewish faith. Verse 22, when the time for purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, which tells us that Mary and Joseph were not very well off. Typically, the offering, according to Leviticus chapter 12, is a lamb. And if you can't afford a lamb, then you're allowed the, the cheaper, the less expensive offering of uh, doves or pigeons. So obviously, Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of ways and means, and they chose uh, the lesser version of the sacrifice of dedication. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting. Now, I think, I think the idea of Simeon being old probably is this idea of waiting. That he's, the idea is he's been waiting for a long time. Well, we just know he's been waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen God's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, as was the custom of the law, the circumcision and the offering, boom, they meet. A couple of things happen here. I love love the convergence of situations. I love the convergence of circumstances. The phrase that's used, it's kind of like the phrase that begins the parable of the Good Samaritan. It just so happened that a man, da-da-da, and he ran into the Levite and the priest, and then the Samaritan came along, right? This is one of those kind of, it just so happened. Call it serendipity, call it coincidence, call it 
convergence, could call it providence. But all of a sudden, Simeon, who if, and we don't know if, if he was, uh, uh, had some kind of status in the temple, was he uh, a priest? We, don't, we know nothing about him. But he happens to be passing through, and th- this would be the outer courts, right? Because for women to be in the temple, there was the women's court. And that was outside the place. Sorry, ladies, that's just how it was set up back in the day. There was the center place around the Holy of Holies, Holy of Holies for the priests, and then the the court for the men, and the ladies' court was outside there. So obviously, Simeon was out wandering around the temple. He happens to bump into Mary and Joseph and Jesus in his walking or wandering or passing through the, the court of the women, and he encounters Jesus. There's some divine orchestration going on here. There's some divine choreography going on here. As Angie talked about, right? there's some divine choreography going on there between her mom and Jake. I wonder how often divine choreography goes on in our lives, and we don't even realize it. And sometimes you see the news, and, and I think as a, as a Christian, you can look at that news and say, hey, there's some divine choreography going on here that just saved somebody's life or saved, saved somebody. And, and you go, I think I can see it. I wonder if they can see it. But there's obviously some, some divine orchestration going on here. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, in, his heart, in their heart a person plans their steps, but the Lord directs their path. I love the divine orchestration in this story. But there's another thing in this story, and that's the, the, the frequency. In three verses, three times, it's sort of the Holy Spirit that's at work here. Verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, in just a few chapters, Luke is going to tell the story about Jesus When Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, when Jesus begins his first sermon, he says, the Holy Spirit is upon me. Luke is very much a book about the work of the Holy Spirit and how God works through his Spirit. And so here it is for Simeon. These are no small words. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you love to know how? How did he know that he would not die before he had seen God's Messiah, the Lord's Christ? And he was moved by the Spirit as he went into the temple courts. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon what God was up to. I'd love to know how he knew. I'd love to know how it was revealed to him. Angie's mom heard a voice. I just did an interview with someone to um, be licensed in the Christian Missionary Alliance in our denomination. And, and she talked about God revealing himself to her and, and telling her to do something. And so, I, I don't know if I'm just an old nosy neighbor who wants to know, but I said to her, I said, what's that like? Like, what was that for you? She says, well, it's just like there, there's a pressure right here, and I know what I got to do. So it's different. It's different for everybody. But you've got this incredible situation. The Holy Spirit, three times Luke mentions the Holy Spirit. Luke's gospel is about the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts that he writes as a sequel to his gospel is about the work of the Holy Spirit. So I think it's kind of important for us to sort of stop and think about how the Holy Spirit's at work here. 
The role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Scripture. The role of the Holy Spirit is to give the follower of Jesus insight and understanding. John chapter 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit pointing us, everything the Spirit does points us to Jesus, reveals who Jesus is and how he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays that God would give the Ephesian Christians the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the Father and the Son. The role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the Father in the Son. Interestingly, our vision statement says, our goal is to reveal and embrace God and His Son, Jesus. To reveal and embrace God and His Son, Jesus. For that to happen, we need to be in tune with the Spirit of God. And what's interesting here, you know, well, there's, there's a number of things that are, in, for me, there's a number of things that are interesting here. Number one, there's no sign. Okay, for, this, for the wise men, there was a star. For the shepherds, for Mary, for Joseph, there was an angel showed up. Like, okay, you've got to pretty much take that for what it is, right, in, in the miracle of the appearance of an angel. But there's none of that here. There is, there is no sign. There is no angelic announcement. Somehow, Simeon just knew. I, that fascinates me to know it. He just knew. He, he comes into this situation, and he just knew this is the one. Throw that in with what we talked about before, about how surprising this whole thing, how God did this, uh, sending the Messiah. It wasn't how anybody expected. You can read through the prophecies in the Old Testament, and, and the, the rabbis at the time, in the 400 years since the last prophet had appeared, the rabbis had tried to put together what's the coming Messiah going to look like. Well, the Messiah was going to be uh, a king who was going to remove the Romans and the Greeks and, the, and their Gentile oppressors. The, the Messiah was going to be someone who would clear the way of all the trouble and all the problems and all the hardships that they were facing, physically, material, economically. There was no indication that God was going to start with a baby. Born in some no-name, middle-of-nowhere town called Bethlehem. Yeah, at one time it was the city of David, but that sort of got lost in the shuffle of the hundreds of years that had passed by. No one really, and that's why it needed, that's why Joseph needed an angel. That's why Mary needed an angel. That's why the shepherds needed an angel. And that's why the wise men, the Gentiles from Persia, needed a star. But Simeon, didn't need, that's, Simeon did not need any of those. So I did a little digging. And Simeon's song, well, let's read it before I talk a little bit about it. His song starts in verse 29, but go back to verse 25 for a clue. Verse 25, it says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is sort of a hint that what Simeon was, had in mind was Isaiah chapter 40. The word of the prophet is Isaiah that comes to the people of God in exile, after exile, and after a horrible experience of exile and devastation and destruction. Isaiah 41, some of you know it. Comfort, comfort my people. That's the consolation of Israel. And, and the words that follow from Isaiah 40 to the end of the book of Isaiah. Now, verse 29. Here's Simeon's song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
There's the connection with our Advent candle today. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. And I read somewhere that this person, in trying to answer this, how did Simeon know? How did Simeon even have a clue that this was God in the flesh? This person said that Simeon was so saturated, so immersed in the words of the prophet Isaiah from chapter 40, verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, right through the end of chapter 66 and the new heaven and the new earth and all points in between. But in his waiting, Simeon was just so caught up and so saturated with the word of God. The spirit, when Simeon and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus met, he just knew. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go back and read Isaiah 40. I went 40 to 55. And just to kind of see those words of Simeon. And interesting enough, when God is going to do this work, uh, he talks about, well, he talks about what we sang about in Isaiah 40 to 55. We sang about King of Heaven come down. There is this hope that the King of Heaven will come and, and make a new way, make a new path, make, make a new start for the children of Israel after exile, after the devastation, after the destruction. So there's this promise of God doing a new thing. There's this promise of a servant of the Lord who will come and, and not only make things right, make people right. And then there's this promise to exile, weary, to Israel in exile, weary, exhausted, desperate, and defeated, that God is going to do a new thing. This new thing will set them free. This new thing will bring them home. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, of all surprises, in that passage, it says that God's got also good news, as we read this morning, good news also for the Gentiles, the people that were oppressing, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the people that were oppressing the Jewish people were also going to be blessed if they turned and recognized what God was up to and who was the Creator and the Holy One of Israel. I wonder if there's a lesson there for us in terms of that kind of awareness and, and sort of seeing God at work when he's working around us, other than just kind of stumbling on by and going, well, who was it? Jacob, right? Jacob, back in Genesis. Surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. I don't mean it has to be here at church. <laughs> it could be anywhere. That's the whole point of the new covenant. That's the whole point of the new relationship with God. Even though, even though um, Simeon and Mary and Joseph, they're, they're in the temple, they're actually in the temple courts. It's on the fringes, it's on the outskirts, it's on the outside, and it's even going to go further afield. It's going to break that mold that God's presence is restricted to a place. The Holy Spirit helped Simeon discern what was happening in the temple that day. Some kind of inner prompting. Something opened his eyes to see. He was aware. He was alert. He was attentive. <laughs> I wonder if it's an understanding. You know, most of us, I think, know the verse in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. I, th I think Simeon's kind of a, a living example of what that looks like. He's, he's alert. He's aware. It's not just sort of sitting back. Uh reclining but there there's this awareness and this attention and and he knows what he knows what God is up to 
and it comes together for him, it clicks. And he praises God. Verse 28, Simeon took the baby in his arms and he praised God. That happens a lot in the Christmas story. That happens with Mary. That happens with Elizabeth. That happens with the shepherds. That happens with the wise men. Great joy. Glorifying and praising God. Blessing God and blessing others. There's awe. There's wonder. There's amazement. Verse 32, if we go down... um, Verse 33, I'm sorry, if we go after Simeon's, Simeon sings out this declaration of who this baby is and, and his sort of situation of, I'm, I'm good, Lord, I'm done. I can depart in peace. It's, it's good. Not only is Simeon praising God, verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Mary and Joseph are amazed. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So, so there's, there's this awareness of Simeon. There's this understanding, this recognition, this insight. This revelation that he understood. And, and you know, we say, to reveal and embrace God and his son Jesus. So, so there's a revelation to Simeon, and he embraces it, right? That, that's his embrace. Now, Lord, dismiss your servant in peace. For him, that, that's what it meant. I think that makes people think he was old, but we have no idea. There's nothing said. So 33, the child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marvel. They're amazed at what was said about Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more next week about how that affects us in worship. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's a storm coming. The response to Jesus will reveal something about everybody. It will determine who rises and who falls. The proud will be brought low. The humble, the poor will be raised up. And Mary can know that suffering is a part of her journey as well. I don't think there's anything harder than to be in a, a, a situation of hardship and suffering at Christmas when everybody else around is celebrating. There's sort of a a realistic balance here, though, isn't there, with, with Simeon's praising God and blessing the parents, but at the same time, he turns to Mary and says, a sword will pierce your soul, too. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. Paul said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. It is not an easy road. And so the words of Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, become so much more important. Words of hope for the weak, for the weary, for the exhausted, for the captive, for the sick, for the defeated. So these people are portrayed as examples of faithfulness. I think as you 
read through the Christmas story in Matthew's version or Luke's version. These people are portrayed in Luke, I think, particularly because he repeats some of these situations. Praise and amazement and wonder. Luke has a number of, you read through the Gospel of Luke and just look for words of wonder, awe, and amazement. And there's numerous situations that happen beyond the Christmas story where people respond with wonder and awe. They're portrayed as examples of faithfulness. They, they show us what a faithful, they show us what it means to be, to embrace God after he has revealed himself to us. What does it look like to embrace God? Well, these individuals in Luke's story are, are examples of it. They are models to imitate. They are, they are examples, to, they're faithful witnesses. Especially in Simeon's case, right? With the Holy Spirit being such a dominant part of how he came to know what in the world God was up to. You ever ask yourself that? What in the world is God up to in my life? He's been waiting. There's that word patience, right? He was patient, waiting for the con- patiently waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Bible tells us that the presence of the Holy Spirit is known by the fruit of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I'm, I'm going to get the order wrong, right? Peace, joy. And yes, the candle is, it, the, the light is still there. It's not out. Just for those of you who think hope had been extinguished, it's not. The flame is still going. My first thought was, I got to go fix that. No, it's still going. <laughs> Love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace. And then Simeon's about patience, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Those are the first four fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, and self-control. Where's hope? Where's hope in all those fruits of the Spirit? I would suggest to you that hope is the result of people being the beneficiaries of the fruit, the other fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Hope comes when people are the beneficiaries and the recipients of that kind of fruit. Galatians chapter 5, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit, talks about living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step by the Spirit, and living by the Spirit. So Simeon's story about how the Holy Spirit was at work in him, nothing miraculous, nothing profound, nothing demonstrative, right? It's just, there's no external miracle. Doesn't minimize external miracles, doesn't minimize voices, the voice of God speaking to us. But for Simeon, it just it just was in the course of his events, in the course of his life, in the course of his day. Hmm. I don't know of any Christian carols that talk about it, but it's interesting that secular Christmas songs tend to talk a lot about Christmas all year round. You listen to the lyrics, it's usually a secular song that we'll talk about. Oh, I wish we could have Christmas all year round. Let's go back to the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, goodness, self control. And I don't, I don't have them exactly right. That's not the point, right? Why is it that secular songs? Earnestly long for Christmas all year round. And who can deliver that? We can. 
followers of Jesus as the fruit of the Spirit wells up in us and comes out in our lives and how we live from day to day. Well, what about Anna? Verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe. Like, we know, we would, I'd love to know more. I'd like to know that kind of stuff about Simeon. Like, how did he know? How was he so close to knowing what God was up to? Well, we don't. But we know the details about Anna. And we're not, she doesn't get quoted for saying anything. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to Mary and Joseph at that very moment, when the Simeon thing is, here's another divine orchestration. She comes up to them. At that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So you got Simeon and Anna, two picture of two people who God revealed to him what he was up to. They embraced it, and there was joy, there was excitement, there was witness, there was testimony. Can we say these two people were wrapped up in Jesus? Think about it. Anna spent all of her time in the temple courts, fasting and praying. Simeon, day after day, waiting for the consolation of Israel and seemingly spending all the time he could understanding and reading and searching, particularly, it seems, in the, in the prophecy of Isaiah. And then when it happened, they were ready with their faithful response. I invite the worship team to make their way as we conclude this morning. But think about that. Think about their faithful response. What, what was it that had them ready? And when they did, I don't, I don't think it was quiet. I don't think it was when the angels are singing for the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. I don't think it's whispers. I don't think it's soft, synthetic elevator music. I think it was pretty loud. I think it was pretty exuberant. And why I'm grateful for music, because I'm not an exuberant person. I'm not um, an expressive person. But I, I appreciate music, because that helps me get expressive. That sort of brings that out in me. And, and the faithful response in the people that we've seen last week in Mary, this week in Simeon and Anna, it's that exuberance, it's that excitement, it's that energy, because they've discovered that God is up to something that nobody saw coming and that the rest of eternity hinges on it.